may be seated. Before I read the scripture passage this morning, I want to assure you that when I wrote this sermon based on this passage, I didn't know about Pastor Gabriel's work or Road to Read. And sometimes the Holy Spirit just fits things together beautifully. Our scripture reading, which we are privileged to read together this morning, comes to us from the gospel according to Matthew. The last chapter, 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. When he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember... I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. The words we use matter perhaps now more than ever. With social media and recording devices and live stream, I'm always keenly aware that anything I say today in a sermon may come back to haunt me or the congregation decades from now in ways we cannot imagine. This is a new problem and also an opportunity of preaching and being human. Our words are constantly on the record. Likewise, at my day job at ADL Connecticut as the Associate Regional Director, I cover all of our communications for Connecticut and social media, where sometimes with a national team, I spend an entire afternoon crafting three sentences as an official statement response to an issue or an event that's occurred in our state. This is the tyranny of social media or Twitter-sized communications. But it matters. While this can be exhausting wordsmithing as a process with multiple stakeholders involved, any of you, by the way, ever been on a subcommittee of a congregation revising bylaws? Something like that? These processes of wordsmithing do matter. In the church and Christian scholarship, we also know this. The dual kind of twin practices of hermeneutics, which is the interpretation of these ancient texts from modern times, and homiletics, the public speaking or preaching about these ancient words, is about looking closely at the granular and the micro level of scripture, tradition, and translation, so that it hopefully may reveal something macro, a deeper truth about the cosmic and the divine. After all, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. We find ourselves this Sunday in a season of the year of living in North America, especially in the United States, where we have a lot of words reserved for special occasions, kind of complicated words. This is the time of year for the great graduation ceremony, a quasi-religious American university and college experience. Now, I remember when I lived in France and it was time for graduation, they just simply got emails confirming that they'd completed their degrees. Did you ever think about how quasi-religious American ritual is around graduation ceremonies? And it's also important to note the words we use in English to talk about this formal ceremony for institutions of higher education 
is that of commencement. Commencement for the ending of something. Such a big and fancy word for simply the handing over of a piece of paper with their name printed on it and some signatures scrolled across it, usually of a chancellor or a college president and a dean, a diploma. This is the time of year with many time-specific words. We only kind of really hear in late May and early June. Diploma, commencement, tassel, baccalaureate, alma mater, cap, cum laude, matriculate, salutatorian, valid Victorian, pomp, circumstance. You didn't realize how many really fancy words we only deploy really in May and June. Focusing today for the purposes of our scripture on commencement, we find a word with deep meaning for our scripture passage from Matthew at the conclusion of this gospel. Commencement is a word that simply means to start something new, the beginning of a new age and the exciting start of a clear and intentional new chapter in life and career. It is the recognition of a time to commence a new age, and it happens every year on cycle. At this time of year, we are likely to receive invitations to these intentional commencement ceremonies on these little campuses dotting New England. These commencements, if you think about it, have a very liturgical and determined order for how things ought to be done. They contain within them the ancient roots of what they really are, a worship service. This recalls that many American educational institutions, Yale, Harvard, my alma mater of Grinnell, and others began as training spaces for clergy. And with Harvard and Yale in particular, congregational clergy to be specific. This is a procession that starts of students wearing funny square hats with a fancy string on them called a tassel. These days, many students like to personalize their gowns and their hats with self-expression, which I think is wonderful. When I graduated from Divinity School at Emory University, I added a flamboyant rainbow boa to make a statement. You see, during my time at Emory, the bishop had systematically tried to find all the out LGBTQ Methodist students and systematically expel them or take their scholarships away. So by wearing the rainbow boa, they couldn't avoid that some of us still made it through. So what we wear matters at commencement. Then comes a really fun thing, and I know that we have our very own PhD in music education, uh, Dr. Frank. Um, here, but the procession of the professors. This is a fun one because we start to see these identifiable colors from different institutions. Crimson, anyone crimson? No crimson, good, okay. <laughs> Baby blue, whatever color Yale blue is. They wear these hats, by the way, that indicate different disciplines. I think the one that looks like a bean bag, the one that looks square in a certain way, these are all hats passed down by the discipline to represent the traditional handing off of the knowledge from the millennia. The students sit, a prayer is said, and a guest speaker comes forward and gives her or his best attempt at a motivational speech intended for all eternal memory. And you can tell that there's various degrees of success 
I lucked out, one of my commencement speakers was Anna Quinlan in undergrad and then John Lewis uh, for grad school, but I've seen some pretty um, awkward ones as well. That speaker is then offered an honorary degree from the institution. And then the dignitaries from the college and university begin a quite long roll call of names. Those named come forward and receive a piece of paper with their name on it and these signatures. People cry out with joy from the sideline, mostly parents who are no longer going to have to pay tuition. <laughs> and the charge is given by yet another official, a charge, a benediction for their lives, a hope for this new commencement, this new age, for the assembly of the graduates. The students yell with joy, move that little string called a tassel from one side of their hat to another, and then kind of oxymoronically, after something so specific, take the same hat and throw it in the air. It's a very uniquely American thing, very odd. They tumble to the ground, and I believe it's the moment when the hats hit the floor that commencement truly has begun. Do you have some memories coming to you from these? You know this beautiful thing we call commencement happens every year. And this is also how I view the Christian commencement of the Great Commission from our scripture passage today from Matthew. Our scripture passage is known by tradition as the Great Commission. It is so important for many in seminaries that even the Pacific School of Religion in Berkeley, California, UCC institution, name their chapel, Great Commission Chapel, for what they hope they're sending their students with. It is a sign of hope and renewal and continuity of the gospel and the church. Jesus came to him. These are the last words we read today in our lectionary. These are the last words in the gospel of Matthew. The last verbal communique between God and humanity. He says, all authority the ability to grant diplomas. In heaven and on earth has been given to me and I share it with you. I pass it along. Go, ver go therefore and make graduate disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The end of the age doesn't mean as it's sometimes portrayed as the great conclusion of Matthew, work done. It means the time to commence again. We have constant commencements in our life with God. Commencement is the end of the study, but the beginning of the work. Like the ending of Matthew, it is the beginning of something new. This is the intent here in the story. This isn't the conclusion of the story. This is simply the beginning. This is the moment when the graduation caps hit the ground. This is where we come in as the inheritors of the discipline. Scholars agree that the, of the canonical gospels, Matthew is the professor or the scholar. It is extra long because it is chock full of definitions for everything. Etymological sidebars, academic explanations, and pedagogical devices for teaching. If this is the conclusion of Matthew's master course for the disciples, 
then our scripture passage today is, in fact, the University of Matthew graduation ceremony. The professor of goodness and kindness, Jesus Christ, is about to leave them. And now the work of carrying on the discipline, the knowledge, is transferred to a new generation, a new age, and then another, and then another. Today, on the first Sunday of Ordinary Time, the season after Easter and Pentecost, we are taking part through narrative and through being here in worship in a cosmic commencement, one that never ends, age after age, year after year. If a generation, by the way, is about every 25 years, that's how a generation is traditionally defined, and if we are on average in this congregation between the years of one and 100 years old, I'm guessing, then we are the 79th to the 83rd generations or iterations of Christian professors since Jesus. So welcome, everyone, to the 83rd commencement of the College of Christ. And you are now the inheritors of the tradition. We are the professors, the PhDs, of this ancient knowledge of spiritual wholeness and self-actualization in Christ. And what will we do with it? What new research will emerge? Like any discipline, we build on what came before and seek new knowledge breaking forth from God's word. Now, in the congregational tradition in New England, your clergy in the UCC wear black robes. Anyone ever notice that? They're warm. Yes. These are the robes of academia. These are also known as Geneva gowns. And it is a strong nod to our early Calvinist roots in Switzerland. This was to delineate their intention by wearing the black robes from those who wore white robes, who were coming from more of a hereditary or passed on tradition. This was to say we are professors, we are academics. While I hope when we wear black robes, the criticism of others with white robes is no longer the intent. We are much more ecumenical than we were back in the day. Wearing black robes still makes every Sunday in the UCC a commencement in Christ. I will add that this is something pretty much distinct only to New England congregational churches. Out west, we switch to white between Labor Day and Memorial Day, so. (laughs) But here in New England, we hold those traditions fast, right? Our robes and what we choose to wear, like professors at commencement, speak to our theological roots in education and study, reading, learning, and teaching. Every Sunday when we put on our black robes in churches across New England, UCC clergy not only nod at our history as clergy of study, we literally robe, gown ourselves in this chapter of Matthew for further study and further wisdom. By putting on these black robes, we commit to continue the commencement hope for deeper learning and education. This this robe that I wear, I hope none of you ever look too closely, is literally falling apart. This was a robe that was worn for nearly half a century by a minister named Don Preslin. On the first Sunday of Pride Month, I remember over half a lifetime for me now, ago, then Don and his wife, Jean, welcomed me as a 15-year-old to the UCC congregation that would eventually become my 
member and discernment or care congregation. And then a little bit, you know, in a special way, they hired me as their associate minister right out of divinity school. So it was my installing congregation and my ordaining congregation. At that time, Don was a retired minister who'd moved to Colorado, as many people do, to be near their grandchildren. More sunshine than Florida or California, by the way, near Denver. And he and Jean took upon themselves to co-chair the Open and Affirming Committee. He'd spent most of his career in the Pacific Northwest, and they had out LGBTQ children of their own, so they made that kind of their retirement job along with other hobbies. It was Don and Jean who helped make Plymouth an open and affirming congregation, and so also welcomed me as a seeker of high school age. Dawn passed away while I was away at Divinity School in Georgia. When I graduated, as I said, my home congregation did the unusual thing of hiring and calling me as their associate minister. This was actually a very common practice. We would see it uh, early in Guilford's history in particular, uh, in the 17th and 18th, 19th century, to hire your own member in discernment. But it's actually very uncommon uh, these days. So when I started at Plymouth as a minister, I needed a clergy robe. And it turns out they're quite expensive. On my first day while setting up my office, I heard a light knock at my door. And it was Jean Preslin, Don's widow, and she stood about four foot five. She was always quiet, soft-spoken. And she was holding a bag with kind of a misshapen item inside. I hear you need a robe for worship, she says. I brought you this one. It was Don's robe. Jean said this quietly with tears welling up in her eyes. She then brought forth an already fraying black clergy gown. She then trembling went back to the bag and pulled out something red. Jake, this was Don's ordination stole. Red stoles in our tradition are used at ordinations uh, and also at Pentecost for the passing of the spirit through tradition. I want this to be your stole when we ordain you and install you here. Now, it's only what Don is. Don Preslin was about six foot five. So when I went to the tailor to pick up this robe from a much needed alteration to meet my stature, the tailor handed me the robe and also handed me a misshapen bag with items inside. And the tailor said to me in a very serious face, I was a clean shaven, 25, probably looked about 16 year old minister. Here's the excess material I removed. You'll need it when you grow. <laughs> Beyond being very funny at the time, I did not grow taller in stature. But this robe has grown more frayed. It's been rebuilt several times, but I wear it with pride. And I do hope that I've grown into the teacher that Dawn hoped I would become. The garments of ministry we wear are spiritually inherited, but they have tradition in the stitches. Today in the lectionary, one Sunday after Pentecost, we are all taking part in an annual commencement of Christ known as the Great Commission. And this is intentional by the writers of the lectionary. This is the last word, the ending, the grand conclusion of the master's course of compassion and kindness of Jesus known as the Gospel of Matthew. And so now we commence on our own age, and then another, and then another, 
and God is with us in all of it. The words we, mat- we say matter more now than ever, or at least they're recorded more now than ever. In this season of graduations, we encounter the liturgy, the litanies, and the quasi-religious rituals of the commencement ceremony, all of which derive from congregational worship. And we don't often pause to realize that in a world, this means the beginning of something new rather than just a conclusion on an academic degree. Graduates, professors all, this is your charge. Life is short. And we don't have much time to gladden the hearts of those who travel these byways and days of this age alongside us. And so be swift to love and make haste to be kind. And may these graduation garments of Christ, the lessons we are charged to share, be with us both now and even until the end of our age of our living and the next life and those to live after us and after them for all the ages to come and forevermore.